The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Welcome into the Gen Jag podcast. Jordan DeLugo and UCF Jaguar, aka Dalton D, here with you on a Shad Khan birthday edition of the show. Happy birthday to the man who has and is continuing to revitalize the Jaguars in the city of Jacksonville, downtown in particular, doing a lot with the stadium and Lot J and hopefully the shipyard soon. Uh, today we will be looking at some news and notes, talking rookie expectations, as Dalton hinted at last week. And I'll also chat with Jaguars legend, former right tackle, Leon Searcy. I want to thank our sponsors, Bold City Brewery. You can find them online at boldcitybrewery.com, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Bold City Brewery. And of course, check out their tap room on Roselle and Riverside and the downtown tap room on East Bay Street. All right, Dalton. So we were both uh, hanging out in South Florida a little bit this past weekend. You were on the Gulf Coast. I was on the Atlantic coast are we all refreshed and ready to get back into Jaguars Jaguars football well yeah we're clearly in off-season mode right now we got to take our vacations now because obviously when the season starts it's full speed ahead for our Jaguar coverage and uh, it's always a good time to take some time off but uh, while I was there I was still making videos still thinking of the Jaguars on my mind so um, got tanned up a little bit it's always good to get tanned up even though I'm still living in Florida but yeah, man, let's let's get at this. Oh, yeah. Speaking of uh, some of your content that you produced while you're out of town, I saw a tweet that uh, got a little bit of Jaguars Twitter riled up <laughs> well, about Jalen Ramsey and his off-field antics, I believe. Yeah, like with Jalen with Ramsey, I hold my tongue on him on a lot of the things that he does just because – I really like whatever what you do on social media. I don't really care. Just do your thing. I mean, he, it's not like he's posting himself, uh, you know, doing stupid stuff on social media. But it's just some of the it's some of the things that he says it or doesn't say. It, it's just kind of annoying. Like I remember just dating back to last season, like during the season, he made uh, 
kind of, he said something about y'all are gonna miss me when I'm gone or something like that, and kind of like it was on an Instagram story, I think, and he like tagged location Jacksonville, so it was like, oh well, this is kind of weird. And then later on, he I remember a few weeks ago the Jaguars and Titans were having a little Twitter feud, and then the Titans came at the Jaguars with the ultimate comeback of actually showing Jalen Ramsey as a kid wearing a Titans shirt. And instead of Jalen Ramsey kind of defending the Jags honor, he goes, hey, Titans, look, here's a picture of me and y'all's defensive backs working out together. And then just the other day, he, the text, you know, I forget who posted, I think it was DeAndre Hopkins saying, oh, welcome to the city, Russell Westbrook is obviously uh, the NBA player. Russell Westbrook just got traded over to the Houston Rockets. And he makes a comment saying, oh, it looks like all the superstars are teaming up in Houston with like wide eyed emojis. I'm just sitting here like, what's going on? Like, why, why, why is he just so like, am I supposed to be kissing this guy's toes while he's, while he's here? Just making sure I'm saying all the right things. It's just, I don't know. It, it started, it started to drive me nuts a little bit. And I just, I look at guys like Jamal Adams. Like I would never see Jamal Adams saying something like that against the Jets. You know, I always see him defending the team, and I don't know. I just feel like as fans, all we can really do is you know talk smack to other fans and other fan bases. You know, it's not like we have anything to do with what, with what's going to go on from game day to game day. But I don't know. It just it just rubbed me in a weird way. All right. Well, I'm sorry to get you fired up about Jalen there, <laughs> but. Uh... For me, I do think it's kind of annoying how he doesn't really ever seem to just like pump up the Jaguars. But I will say, I think that no matter what, when he is a Jaguar and under contract with the Jaguars, he's going to give it 110% on the field and in the locker room. And that's the most important thing. Yeah, I mean, when I look at him, that's exactly what he does. I mean, the guy plays injured, and he's still plays at an extremely high level. And I always say, like, I, I respect the hell out of him on the field. Uh, I mean, he's, like, my favorite player when he's on the field. But, you know, just some of his weird antics when he's, like, off the field. Like, that's one reason why I will never really have a Jalen Ramsey jersey, just because I can't really – I have to buy into the person also, really, for me to get, like, a jersey of the guy. And I, I just stuff like that, I, I don't know if he – really wants to if he really loves Jacksonville and really wants to be in Jacksonville of course as the Jags offered him a mega contract he would of course accept the deal but you know I would love it if he was a guy that was basically saying okay I'm going to be the you know face of this franchise and the greatest player this franchise has ever seen and I I just wish he kind of came at it with more of that mindset that would be nice I do think players like that are few and far between in this day and age a lot different than it was, you know, even in the early to mid 2000s. Nowadays, with social media and everybody having their own brand and all that, it's just kind of, it's just kind of become a me league. And I do think Jalen falls into that category. But yeah, if if the Jaguars come to the table with a good contract offer next year or the season following, I think Jalen will be happy to stick around. And I don't blame him for wanting to get his while he can, absolutely. But moving on from such a touchy subject, I, did, I didn't expect Jaguar that. Fans. I didn't expect that that tweet to blow up as much as it did. But it was all out there. All these people were liking. All these people were, you know, talking some shit to me, and I was just 
whatever. I just kind of let it roll, roll out the back. But it was kind of a funny random thing to put out there on a, you know, a dead Monday for football news. Yeah. So um, I believe it, it might have been Monday, actually, too, that the Madden ratings came out. It was either Monday or Tuesday. But the Madden ratings came out for Madden NFL 20, the initial ratings. Uh, of course, lots of reactions for all the different players around the league and all the different teams around the league. We're going to focus on the Jaguars here. Jalen Ramsey, speaking of the devil, <laughs> uh, 96 overall is what he came in at. I believe he was the 18th highest rated player. And he's the highest rated cornerback in the game. But he did not earn a 99. Only four players did. Uh, based on his performance last year, I don't think he really deserved a 99. I think a 96 is pretty fair. Maybe 97 would have been nice. But uh, obviously, he's amongst the best players in the game and the best corner. Yeah, I, I don't mind a 96 rating. I mean, when you look at some of the other players kind of around the league, it does seem like players are rated a little bit low. So, I mean, that 96 rating is a good rating, and it's um, deserving that he's the highest-rated Jaguar. Yeah, and then behind him, you've got Calais Campbell coming in at 92 overall. I think he should probably have a little bit higher overall grade than that. I mean, the guy's been a beast the last two years, especially against the run. And while he only gets credit for his run defense, nationally speaking, by, from a lot of people at least, you know, the guy has 25 sacks in the last two seasons. There's not very many players that can say that. Especially at the age that he's at. Right. So I think he should be a little bit higher. But, you know, 92 overall, obviously no slouch. And then A.J. Boye, he came in with an 88 overall. He's the third highest rated Jaguar. I think that's probably fair for what he did last year. But I think by season's end, he'll get that grade back up into the 90s. For sure. Yeah, it's pretty good. I mean, but it is a little strange that, you know, he's a third highest ranked Jaguar on the team. Yeah, um, I don't think that's terrible in terms of being the third highest rated Jaguar. Uh, but behind him, you got Brandon Leonard and Andrew Norwell coming in the mid 80s. Surprising to me was Unique Ngakwe being just an 84. I would definitely think his rating would be closer to that of A.J. Boye's 88, maybe a 90 overall. Uh, I think that how do you how do you uh, not give this guy like pretty much perfect scores in terms of athleticism and um, his finesse moves? I, I think Unique Ngakwe is still struggling in the fact that I don't think he's that much of a household name yet. Uh, he wasn't very highly touted coming out of college and – Obviously, it took him until really getting double-digit sacks for the NFL and the common NFL fan to actually know who this guy is. But um, you know, I think he's I think he's dealing with a little bit of uh, non-name recognition because I mean, this guy this guy should be a lot higher. I mean, this guy might very soon get inked to like the highest uh, contract and you know d defensive end contract in the NFL. So yeah, I, I think he definitely deserves to be higher. Yeah, he very well be could be getting ready to get a market-setting deal, and we'll talk about that a little bit later coming up. A um, couple more players that had interesting ratings to me. Nick Foles came in at just a 77 overall. I would guess he should have hit at least 80 based on some of his recent performances. What do you think? I, I don't like the 77 rating. I think... 
I think it's kind of weak. I, like I, like you said, I think he should be at least in the B range. I mean, I'd probably give him. I mean, I'd probably give him an eighty-two. I mean, just judging on what he's done the last two seasons when he's gotten the opportunity, um, I think seventy-seven is weak. I, I also like to run with my court, run around with my quarterbacks a little bit and Madden, and I'm not sure how much of that he's going to be able to bring for me. So, um, yeah, him him being at seventy-seven is a little disappointing. Yeah, he's definitely not going to be the Blake Bortles that you're used to having in Madden, being able to run around a little bit back there. Blake Bortles was nice in Madden, I thought. Yeah, there was definitely some consistency issues throwing the ball down the field sometimes. but <laughs> Can never throw on a run. Some, yeah, but uh, the final guy I wanted to look at is the Jaguars rookie defensive end, Josh Allen. He also came in at 77, and... That's a player that I think you could definitely build around if you're doing some, um, maybe some fantasy draft to start a franchise mode or something like that. Uh, he's got so much potential, and I think that he could very well end up being in the 80s too by the end of his rookie year with the updated um, updated rosters. Yeah, they never they never rank rookies very high, but it was interesting looking at this list. Um, tied for third highest is actually Telen Smith coming in at an 88 overall. I know he's probably not going to be playing for the Jaguars this year, but you already know before I get in these, these Xbox Live games, I'm going to be uh, changing this depth chart and putting him right up there at the top. <laughs> yeah, that's another thing. I, I didn't even put him on here because obviously he's not playing this year. But how in the world is Telvin Smith rated higher than Unique Ngakwe? Yeah. And, you know, I think Miles Jack should be right there with him, too. Yeah, I think Miles Jack came in around 83. Yeah, he's 83. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that's another guy. With his athleticism, I think he could play a lot higher than 83 in terms of what he can do on the field. And and I don't think they – I don't just because Telvin Smith last year, I mean, there's no reason why he should be five whole points higher than Miles Jack based off of the season that I think he had. But um, and plus now he's like sitting out a year, obviously. So I don't, I don't know if that would have they would have been inclined to drop him a little bit because of that. But that's yeah, a little. I mean, I guess when the Jaguars are so bad, I don't think many people are watching. And um, Telvin Smith, I didn't think had a had a very good year. I think Miles Jack was better than him last year. I do too, and I, I think the the Madden, uh, I can't remember his name, but the guy who really kind of comes up with all the ratings, you would think he's watching all the players, but who knows. Um, if you want to look at the rest of the ratings for the Jaguars and other players and teams around the league, you can check out the EA Sports website. Also, check out genjag.com. You can get geared up for the season. We've got a lot of new merch coming out uh, pretty much every week. And you can also become a member of our fan group. Our sponsored tailgates have free food and beverages. You get discounts around town and some pretty awesome uh, Season 25 gear. So you can check that out again at genjack.com. So, Dalton, training camp, exactly a week away from today, starts training camp officially July 25th to August 1st is uh, seven practices that will all be open to the public. However, Saturday the 27th is season ticket holders only. And you should note that the 29th, the players will have a day off. But June, July 25th through August 1st, it's going to be a fun time for Jaguars fans getting out there and seeing their team for the first time this offseason. 
Yeah, it always is. And I'm going to try my best to make it out there. I, I live in Orlando, so it's a little bit of a drive for me. But it's always cool being able to show up to the Jaguars practices and actually seeing some of these guys firsthand. Like this is probably the first time a lot of people will ever see Josh Allen or uh, Jawan Taylor. And it's cool, of course, seeing the superstars like Jana Ramsey and uh, Nick Foles, Miles Jack kind of walking out on the field. So uh, it's a really cool time. You know, if you've never been to any training camp practices, it's definitely a lot different in years past. I know back in the day, you used to be basically be able to get all the players' autographs, get all kinds of high fives. It's not as it's you don't get as much player access as you used to be able to get, but you're still going to be able to see them on the field and you know really see how big some of these guys are. Because I remember the first time I saw Clayus Campbell, I was like, "Holy cow, this guy is a freaking tank!" Yeah, Campbell's a monster, and you're right about the practice sessions in terms of availability. It's definitely more of a controlled environment nowadays with Tom Coughlin running the show. Yeah, because but obviously yeah. when they're when they're leaving, I remember back in the day they used to sign all these autographs and they'd always have all kinds of meetings they had to go to. Um, I don't think I think back when Gus Bradley, you know, you might have been able to get to the meetings a few minutes late, but not 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 in Tom Coughlin's world. No longer, that's for sure. Uh, now you can follow UCF Jaguar on Twitter at UCF underscore Jaguar. You can follow myself at Jordan DeLugo. And of course, check out UCF Jaguar's YouTube page, which is just UCF Jaguar. You can type that in on YouTube, see all of his latest videos. So our final news and notes segment here, Unique Ngakwe's contract. Obviously, that has not been resolved yet. He's been a name that's been swirling in terms of the national media. He's been all around on different websites, CBS, NFL, uh, different analysts and pundits talking about him being a potential holdout candidate as he has not gotten his new contract yet. Uh, I wrote an article about this today, uh, earlier this morning, four reasons why it's not in Unique Ngakwe's best interest to have a lengthy holdout. Now, I wanted to talk a little bit about this because we touched on it a few weeks ago on the show. I've done a lot more research since then, and I wanted to bring you guys some of the main points of how I view this Unique Ngakwe contract situation. Now, first of all, I would like to say I strongly believe the Jaguars should back up the Brinks truck for Yon. Uh, he's a self-motivated terror off the edge, plays a premium position, and does everything right on and off the field. But if the Jaguars will not come to the table with a legit deal, I would not advise a lengthy holdout if I was Unique Ngakwe's agent. Uh, there's several reasons for that. The way the current CBA is set up, it does not give Unique a favorable situation should he want to hold out. And the reason for that is, if he doesn't report to training camp by August 5th, he will not be able to become an unrestricted free agent in 2020. He would instead become a restricted free agent, which would make essentially the Jaguars be able to have complete control over his future moving forward because they can place a first round tender on him or a second round tender and I think they would likely do one of those two scenarios should should they not be able to get a deal done with him this offseason or uh, at some point during the season or just after the season. 
So I think if they place a first round or second round tender on him, no team is going to come uh, come banging on his door, having to give up a first round pick or a second round pick and then pay him elite money. I just don't see that happening. Do you? Um, I really don't. But I got I got a question. How does how does this come into play? Like, is this do all third? Because I know nowadays with the whole draft and um, rookie rookie salary scales, you know, all third round picks are going to make about the same money. Was this something that was unique to his contract, or was that something that uh, that, that all third round picks, for example, in the twenty sixteen class, um, uh, basically have? So under the current CBA, which I believe came about in 2011, every player coming off of his rookie contract must accrue four seasons before he is eligible to become an unrestricted free agent. And in order to accrue that fourth season in the final year, that player has to report to camp at least 30 days prior to the first regular season game. First regular season game is September 6th. So that mean, that's why Unique has to report by August 5th. And that's just the rules under the current CBA. So no matter what round you're drafted in, that's the situation. And uh, that's, that's just the way it is for every player under the current CBA. You with me, Dalton? I think we might have lost Dalton there. But uh, moving on, uh, Unique has made very little money throughout his career so far. And he actually has only made $2.6 million. And he's due to make $2 million this upcoming year. So if he decides to hold out, the Jaguars can fine him up to $40,000 every day. He's not there during training camp. And then they can also continue to fine him after that if he doesn't show up. And he could end up essentially losing his entire salary, which is a salary that would nearly double what he's made so far this year. So it's a big risk uh, not reporting and then having the potential to end up being a restricted free agent instead of an unrestricted free agent and having the Jaguars control what he has going on moving forward. All right, so I think we had a little bit of technical difficulties there. Hopefully everybody's able to bear with us. But we were talking about Unique Ngakwe and his best path to a mega contract is hitting unrestricted free agency in 2020. And essentially, if he decides to hold out this year, he just won't be able to be able to become an unrestricted free agent. The Jaguars will be able to somewhat control his immediate future. And I just don't think that is a route that I would advise Unique Ngakwe to go down. Now, hopefully, the Jaguars and Unique Ngakwe can get together and Unique Ngakwe's agent, Ari Nissim, and just knock it out, get this deal done, get him signed long-term, and move on and make all this a moot point. Yeah, and, and thanks to the beauty of Instagram and Instagram stories, I think we saw from Miles Jack's story that he is you know, in Jacksonville. He was at the facilities working out. So 
that's definitely a positive sign. I don't see many players at the facilities a week before training camp starts. Then once it starts, they just leave. So it, it is looking like he's going to report for the first day of training camp. Yeah, let's hope so. And you got to remember, he wants to play football. He wants to be a leader. He wants to be a captain on this football team. So all of those factors, if I had to guess, I would say the deal's going to get done. And even if it's not done immediately, I, I do think he'll end up reporting to camp. I just don't think he's the type of player that wants to hold out to a point where it would really be hurting the team. And I think missing training camp and preseason would definitely be detrimental to the team. And I'll be honest with you, I think the whole him missing most OTAs, I think that was a lot of his agent talking to him because, of course, he reported the first day and he said everything that you would want him to say, and then all of a sudden he just disappears. I, I don't know if it's I don't know if his agent just said, "Hey, this is a good leveraging point," or if his or the Jaguars came up to him with some laughable contract or what the deal was there. But I really think that it was agent driven. Yeah. I think you're probably right there. And moving on here, uh, shameless plug before we get into the rookie expectations for the 2019 Jaguars rookie class. Uh, if you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on iTunes and SoundCloud. We are also, ne- also now on Stitcher and Spotify. And if you really love us, you can leave us a review on any of those platforms we'd really appreciate it It really helps new people find the show so like i said we're going to get into the rookie expectations and uh dalton you want to go ahead and get us going yeah let's talk about the rookies i know when we were drafting this year we were what number seven right yeah yeah i remember when we were at number seven you were going through all the different names that the jaguars could possibly get was it going to be tj hawkinson was it going to be Ed Oliver. There were so many different names, even the tackles with Jawan Taylor. There were there were all kinds of different names that we were thrown out there. But one guy that I never talked about, I don't think, in a single video was of course the guy that we drafted the defensive end out of Kentucky, Josh Allen. Josh Allen fell to our laps at number seven. You know, some things happened in front of us with a couple teams wanting quarterbacks. A couple teams kind of going, kind of wanting a specific position. And, of course, um, the Raiders throwing a lead block in there for us and drafting Cleveland Farrell out of Clemson. So the Jaguars look out and get Josh Allen, who was, uh, from what a lot of experts were really projecting, a top three, top four overall player in this draft class. And a lot of Jags fans are scratching their heads. Oh, we need offensive line. We need tight end we need all this but we also needed a defensive end we i mean we of course it's not a glaring hole because you look at the starting lineup and you see yannick and calais campbell but i mean we did lose dante fowler uh in 2018 and dante fowler was a guy who i was always trying to tell jags fans his importance because it's very important to have a really a defensive end that can rotate in and out, that can come in on past specific downs and um, be able to come in fresh and get some sacks. And that's what uh, that's what Dante Fowler did for us. He was an integral part in our team in 2017. Of course, 2018, after we traded him, the, the season was already going downhill, so it's not like we really felt a lot of the loss with him leaving. But, I mean, Josh Allen coming to this situation, uh, it's, it's going to be really exciting. I mean, I, I'm expecting uh, – some good things out of him maybe not to 
you know, to start to, to immediately start the year because I do think there's a lot of things that he needs to work on. But, you know, I really think at the latter part of the 2019 season, um, once he really gets a feel for the groove of the NFL and hopefully by that time where have a winning record and we're in a playoff run, you know, I think we're really going to be getting the best out of him. Yeah, I mean, if things go well early on and he's able to get in on some clear passing situations where teams have got to get the ball down the field, he's got so much athleticism and raw talent and some refinement as a pass rusher to where I think even early on in the season you could see some real splash plays from him. But I do think probably towards the end of the season you'll see some more consistency, maybe see him come in and do some things against the run because he's proven he can do that. And I do think he's going to be everything that he's been hyped up to be. He, he's got all the athleticism in the world. He's got all the size in the world. He's got the motor, constant motor running, and he seems like a really smart individual. So I think he's got the, the total package. Now with, with Josh Allen, one thing – like of course he's great and everything, but I do I do fear a little bit of a bust factor with him just because I mean when I when I looked at him at Kentucky, one thing that I did notice is that he hasn't been great in run support just yet. You know, I've watched several games of his and he's not extremely involved in that. So that's one thing that does worry me. Another thing about him coming onto the Jaguars is that I mean he's gonna have to learn from the get go just because in college he was mostly in a two point stance which for those of you guys that don't know, two-point stance is essentially when you are uh, when you don't have a hand on the ground where you're just standing up on two feet, kind of like a linebacker. Um, he was rarely in a three-point stance, which is what our defensive ends do now with their hand on the ground. Um, that He wasn't in that position very often. So, you know, it's a subtle kind of change, but at the same time, um, you know, some guys are a little more comfortable standing up than um, getting on the ground. And, you know, he's he's got a really nasty bend around the edge. I mean, he's extremely quick off the line of scrimmage. He's always the, you know, if I always like to, when I look at defensive linemen, just look at where the helmets are at. And he's always a full helmet ahead of anybody else that's on the field. And he's able to quickly um, get around you know, get up and get around offensive tackles, you know, while they're still trying to drop step. Um, and he's really got extremely good bend. But, you know, he's still got some pass rush shoes to work on. He's got to get an inside move. He's got to, um, you know, somehow get a little bit of a spin move in there. That's something that Dante Fowler was really never able to fully develop. But, I mean, when I say bus factor, I'm, I'm just – you know, trying to play a devil's advocate here and kind of look at it like uh, many of our first round picks in the last few years have been where we look at them with wide eyed and expect all these great things, but don't really pan out. But uh, with Josh Allen, he's got all the tools that he needs to be great. I do like how he's got, you know, a wife and a kid. So it, it looks like, you know, it's going to be just family and football with him, um, which is always good. He's not going to be worried about chasing tails on the weekend and on weeknights and stuff like that. But yeah, that's uh, you know, Josh Allen. I'm definitely, definitely excited about him, and I hope he can uh, grow into the player that the Jaguars draft with a, you know, obviously number seven overall pick. Yeah, and one final point on Josh Allen. While he did uh, predominantly rush with with from a two point stance, he he was able to show that he can rush from a three point stance, and I think he's in the perfect situation to develop that. You know, he's not going to be asked to come out and get get sacks in his first game or even his first few games. He'll get some playing time. He'll get some snaps. But 
they can bring him along with Unique Ngakwe and Calais Campbell. So he doesn't have to be that type of guy that's going to be the dominant edge rusher from day one. And I think that's very favorable for him. Now moving on to the second round pick, Juwan Taylor. He's a guy that a lot of people thought were gonna, was going to be a first round pick. I expect him to start from week one, honestly. He's got a long way to go, but training camp, he's going to have uh, 35 plus practices. He's going to have three or four games to get acclimated. And I I don't think it's ideal to have a rookie coming in and starting at right tackle, but they don't have much at right tackle besides him. Obviously, Cedric Abue, he is is there, but he was a dumpster fire in Cincinnati, and Bengals fans couldn't get rid of him quick enough. So despite the Jaguars liking Abue's athleticism and size, I'm not sold on his ability. So like I said, I believe Jawan Taylor is going to come out and start week one. I think to start, he should be a plus run blocker on most plays. And he should be able to hold up for the most part in pass protection. You might see some slip-ups here and there from him going against some of the better uh, edge rushers that the division and the conference have to offer. But he only surrendered one sack in 2018. I think that's something a lot of people don't really know. And uh, can you guess who that sack was surrendered against? Our boy Josh Allen. That's right. He was the only one to get one on Juwan Taylor. And he had a massive, uh, similar to Josh Allen, Juwan Taylor, his his development from his uh, second to last year in college to his final year in college was just incredible. Juwan Taylor wouldn't have been anywhere close to a first-round pick until his 2018 season. And uh, Josh Allen was a fringe first round uh, type of guy projecting after his junior season. So good for both of them that they went back to school and good for the Jaguars. They were able to get these two SEC blue bloods. And I think Jawan Taylor, like I said, I think he'll be a plus run blocker from day one. And I hope that he's able to hold up and pass protection. Yeah. And I mean, Josh Allen or not Josh Allen, but Jawan Taylor, Really, if you just look at his journey, it really just kind of tells you how hard of a worker he is. When he was in high school, going to Coco High School, just um, a couple hours south of Jacksonville, he was extremely overweight, and he had been wanting to play at the University of Florida his whole life. They had kind of given him a scholarship, but then they kind of said, you know what, you're going to have to lose about 40 pounds and if you're going to want to get a scholarship over here. He lost all the weight that the coaches told him to. He started at UF from day one. You know, he earned all SEC freshman honors. Um, and then he lost even more weight just coming into the NFL just throughout his Florida journey. And, I mean, he's got just tons of experience versus the top talent. I mean, if you're playing the SEC starting as a freshman at the offensive line, it's so rare for an offensive lineman to start as a freshman. And that's exactly what Jawan Taylor did. I did a lot of film review on him just before the draft just because he was probably the most commonly mocked player to the Jaguars at number seven. So I wanted to see what exactly the Jaguars were going to be getting out of him or like a Jonah Williams. I, I wasn't a huge fan of the Jaguars potentially drafting Jawan Taylor at number seven just because I thought he was the way that it seems like the NFL draft usually goes is usually the elite offensive lineman will go in the top five, top 10. Then there's a little bit of a break and it only seems like in the back half of the first round, that's when a bunch of offensive linemen start going. And that's, that's really where I thought Jawan Taylor more so fit. But I mean, the fact that he fell away to the second round, 
Um, you know, you have the Houston Texans taking offensive linemen from Alabama State and letting uh letting Jawan Taylor slide right to us. But yeah, I mean, I think he's going to be really good in the run game. He's got some really good feet too. He's actually, you know, a lot of people really call him a mauler, which he kind of is, but I also think he's a pretty good technician too. And I, I think that he's got great work ethic. And, you know, obviously later in the show, you're going to be host, you're going to have a have a Leon Searcy interview. And I'm sure you talked about him a little bit, but yeah, I mean, it seems like this guy's hungry and I'm really excited to see what we get from him. And I I do expect him to be a day one starter. Yeah, man, for sure. You want to get into the third round pick? Yeah, man. At pick number 69, we have Josh Oliver out of San Diego state. Uh, Shout out to Josh go before announcing his uh, draft pick, but yeah, jo- I mean Josh Oliver. He's a he's an interesting player. I didn't know much about him coming out just because he's a West Coast guy, small school. Uh, but you know, he's a guy that I remember watching some film on him, and it just like it, it just seemed like the team he was playing for was so bad. Then I realized later the team was like two and ten or something like that. The quarterback play was just awful, which really kind of made him feature how sticky his hands are. I mean, he's got he's got an incredible um, radius for catching, for catching footballs. And, um, you know, I think he's going to take some development. Obviously the level of play is going to be a big, a big upgrade, but I mean, you look at what the very rarely does Dave call will ever say that he's not going with the best available player, but he basically said, look, with our first three picks, we were wanting to get a defensive end, a right t- or a offensive tackle and a tight end. And this is, um, this is the guy, Josh Allen, He's definitely more of a of a ball catcher than really a, like a um, run blocker. But if I'm going to be drafting a tight end in the third round, you know, I'd much rather them uh, be a good pass catcher, especially with the Jaguars' current situation at tight end. Yeah, I agree. I think you slipped a Josh Allen in there, but uh, yeah, Josh Oliver. Um, so he has gotten a lot put on his plate. John D. Filippo has said as much and. He said, as you would expect from any rookie, there's been a little bit of a learning curve. But if he's able to take on all of the all of the responsibility that the Jaguars are giving him with his position, which he's going to have to be able to line up in the slot, line up on the line of scrimmage, and even maybe do some stuff out of the backfield. If he's able to grasp the playbook and play without thinking too much, He's got the talent to do it uh, as long as he's got the confidence and the wherewithal to understand what's going on in the offense, which I think he, d- he does, then you'll definitely see some highlight type plays from him his rookie year, and you'll see him develop as the season goes on. I, it is a big jump from San Jose State. Will he be able to be consistent from the get-go? Maybe. If not, you know, I think you'll see a lot of Jeff Swaim and James O'Shaughnessy if Josh Oliver is making mistakes, but we'll, we'll see how it goes. But I do think you'll see some some big plays from him down the seam for sure. Yeah, and I really think with him, like the more balanced our offense can get, the better he's going to be just because, you know, we can't just be this ground and pound run all the time team and then all of a sudden on a third and seven, bring this guy in because everyone's going to know exactly what we're going to do. So um, I think we're going to have to find some way to disguise him into our offense. And um, I think it's going to be good. I'm really, I'm really excited that we finally invested like a top pick and in, in a 
tied in because it seems like this position group has been so weak for the Jaguars for so many years. So um, with with the additional third-round pick, which we actually received from the Dante Fowler Jr. trade, was um, was a pick that kind of uh, – it kind of stumped the bus a little bit when they went when they went after uh, this guy, the linebacker out of Murray State, Quincy Williams, actually the brother of Quinton Williams, the number three overall pick to the Jets. But <laughs> when they bit them, none of the NFL analysts even knew who this guy was. But it was interesting because um, I remember Kyle Shanahan actually brought up in one of their press conferences saying, oh, I, I don't know how it was brought up. They basically said that, look, this Quincy Williams guy, was got a lot of NFL uh, scouts' radars, and you know he was picked pretty early. So uh, when you look at Quincy Williams, there's really not much tape on him except really of the tape that he put up on YouTube himself. And he's obviously an extremely hard hitter, <laughs> uh, to say the least. I mean, the guy's definitely a thumper, and um, he's going to play a pretty big role with the Jaguars uh, to start the year. I mean, you know, many project him to be a starter. I know you project him to be a starter. I don't know if he's going to start week one. I would probably put um, Alexander, Alexander in a weak side linebacker spot role to begin the year. This guy, I think, is going to take a little bit of a learning curve and a little bit of time for him to develop. But um, it'll be, especially with Telvin Smith sitting out this year, um, this guy might be forced into a big role early on. Yeah, like you said, I've been pretty vocal. I think he's going to start from day one. And... I think it's going to be fun. I think it's going to be a fun rookie season for Quincy Williams. I think he's going to turn some heads literally uh, on the field. I think he needs to stay under control and try not to headhunt too much because you've seen some of that from his college days. But I think he's going to make a ton of splash plays as a rookie. The challenge for him, to me, could be playing consistently with such a huge jump from Murray State to the NFL but I expect him to have a ton of tackles and make a bunch of highlight real type plays. He may have some frustrating moments as a rookie where you're like, what the hell was that guy doing? But that would be nothing new. Telvin Smith's had plenty of those moments throughout the years. Yeah. And it always drives me nuts when we make this pick and all the fans are like, Oh, this is a horrible pick. We should have got this guy. It's like, come on. You had, you've watched nothing out of this guy. And just to automatically say that it's a bad pick. I think it's a little bit, um, you know, I, th- I think it's a little bit, uh, it's not informed, I should say. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm excited about, I'm excited about what see Quincy Williams has, but, um, I'll be definitely more excited about him going into year two. Um, because I think he's just got a lot of learning to, ha- to grow. Yeah, no doubt, but he's got the natural athletic ability and the, uh, he's got the right mindset to be knocking some heads off there in the middle and on the outside. So the next pick, fifth round pick, Raquel Armstead, people around here have been calling him Rock Armstead, uh, went to Temple. He is a Leonard Fournette clone. Basically, my expectations for him and his rookie year depend on what happens with Leonard Fournette. If Fournette stays healthy, I don't think Armstead's going to see the field a whole lot. But if Fournette, like he has been known to do, gets injured, then I think you're going to see a ton of Rock Reichwell Armstead, and I think there's no reason for me to believe that he can't succeed behind a strong offensive line and with Nick Foles throwing him the ball out of the backfield and handing him the ball. 
Yeah, and it's funny when the Jaguars drafted uh, Rockwell Armstead because I'm a UCF guy. Temple is um, in the same conference as UCF and even same side of the conference. And um, I got a little bit of dirty flashbacks of him running all over UCF. I think he had about 130 yards on UCF before leaving due to injury. So I was a little bit... uh. I might have been happy when I saw him lead to the injury. But, I mean, the guy's an absolute stud. Like you said, he's a lot like Leonard Fournette um, with the way he runs. He's definitely a downhill guy. A lot of people say that he doesn't catch passes well, but I think it's a lot like Leonard Fournette's situation where they just didn't get a lot of opportunity to catch the ball. But, um, yeah, with, with Rockwell Armstead, I agree with you in the fact that if Leonard Fournette is healthy, I don't think he's going to see the field a lot. I think the running back, too, when Leonard Fournette is playing, I think it's going to be probably Alfred Blue. But I think if Leonard Fournette's injured, I think Rockwell Armstead might be the starting running back just to uh, just to be the similar style as style runners Leonard Fournette, and to finally have a backup running back that has a similar running style as Leonard Fournette. Because ever since Leonard Fournette has been here, we haven't really had that. I mean, I guess Chris Ivory might have been in 2017, but Chris Ivory just wasn't that good. So. Um, I'm expecting, you know, it's a nice spot, a little fifth round pick to get a running back. It's always good to grab running backs a little later, you know, so I, I like to pick. Yeah. And you can't overstate the fact that Armstead worked a lot, almost exclusively out of the shotgun in college and ran from the shotgun really well. And Nick Foles loves to be in the shotgun. So that's obviously a good thing for Reichwell Armstead and the Jaguars. Yeah, definitely. So with the Jaguars' sixth-round pick, maybe the most popular sixth-round pick in Jaguars history, the Jaguars went all the way to the Pacific Coast to draft Gardner Minshew, uh, the quarterback out of Washington State. Gardner Minshew's been all over the place from Alabama to like East Carolina um, up to Washington State. And, I mean, he set records up there. As the Washington State quarterback, he only had about, I don't think he only had one or two losses while he was up there. Uh, the fans absolutely love him up there. He's going to be wearing the Tim Tebow 15 number for the Jaguars. And, um, you know, he's very well in line to earn the Jaguars backup quarterback spot. And this is one thing that's going to be a lot more exciting this preseason than last preseason, just because last year, the quarterbacks you're watching play in preseason were Blake Bortles, who we already knew a lot about. And after that, Cody Kessler, who was kind of meh. This year, we get to see Nick Foles, the Gardner Minshew. So I think just that alone is going to is gonna make this preseason a lot more exciting than last season. Yeah, it will be interesting to see him out there slinging it around, making some plays. And yeah, hopefully it'll look a lot better than at least Tanner Lee last year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Tanner Lee, maybe the most unpopular six-round pick in team history, but he's still going to be out there slinging the rock a little bit, uh, Tanner Lee, because he's still on the roster, but I, I wouldn't expect him to make the team. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like you said, I think Minshew will be the second-string guy, and I think as long as the offensive line plays well, that he should be able to play at least at Cody Kessler's level, which isn't asking a whole lot. But I think... Unlike Kessler, I think when plays break down that Minshew can really, really get it done. And we'll see if he has to do that. Hopefully not. But I do think that he's a better option than Cody Kessler. And the Jaguars obviously thought so, too, by releasing Cody Kessler earlier this offseason. But I also think no matter what, if Garner Minshew plays this year, he's going to be in a lot better situation than Cody Kessler because – when Cody Kessler got put in there at quarterback, our whole entire offense was 
just about dead and he had nothing he was constantly being pressured it just was not was not a good sight yeah he was not given a fair shake last year no doubt about it now the final pick for the jaguars in the 2019 nfl draft defensive tackle dontavious russell out of auburn you know this is a guy who comes in at a position that has a lot of talent already with marcel darius and avery jones and i think he it would be a good thing if he's if he's able to make the roster i think it would say a lot um if he doesn't make the roster he'll certainly be on the practice squad but I would look for him to compete for a roster spot, and I wouldn't look for much more out of a seventh-round pick really on this roster with the defense as it is currently. Yeah, I mean, when you when you look at what a roster, what an NFL roster is composed of, you're going to keep about anywhere between 8 to 10 defensive linemen, so that's about 20% of the, a little less than 20% of the actual roster just because you cycle these guys in and out. So every year, you're more than likely going to be drafting at least one offensive lineman and one defensive lineman. Dontavious Russell straight from the SEC has played some really good competition. So uh, maybe we can get a similar version of an Avery Jones like we got in 2013 when uh, we got him out of undrafted free agency. Of course, we threw a seventh round pick at Dontavious Russell. You know, this is so we don't have to uh, kind of go do some recruiting uh, the ultimate form of recruiting after the NFL draft is over and he starts signing undrafted free agents. But yeah, I mean, he could, uh, and we'll see if he makes a roster. I don't know if he will or not, most likely not, but maybe we can stash him on a practice squad and uh, you never know what you can get out of a guy like this. Yeah, absolutely. It'll be fun to watch him throughout the preseason. And that's going to do it for our rookie preview. I think guys like, Jawan Taylor and Wyquell Armstead, Josh Oliver, they're going to be asked to do a lot from the beginning. Josh Allen, he'll be coming in and in clear pass rushing situations, I think, early on. And and uh, obviously Gardner Minshew, we expect to be the second string quarterback, which is a lot to ask out of a guy who does not have the strongest arm or the or the biggest stature. But it'll be interesting for sure to see how these rookies pan out in 2019 and beyond. So now we are going to transition over to my interview with Leon Searcy, the former Jaguars right tackle, and we'll go ahead and play that for you right now. All right, now we've got a man who really needs no introduction, but I'll give him one anyways. Leon Searcy, former Jaguars Pro Bowl right tackle, three-time national championship winner at Miami, and radio personality over at 1010XL. Welcome on to the Gen Jack Podcast, and thanks for joining us, Leon. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Awesome. So uh, what's going on in the world of Leon Searcy these days? Well, right now, I'm outside on the patio smoking a cigar. Dogs can play. How about that? <laughs> That's awesome. I know you enjoy your cigars over there. Absolutely. I love them. All right, cool. So... While we've got you on here, I just wanted to run through some topics about your playing days back in Jacksonville and then also get some insight on what you think's going on with the current regime. All right. Sounds good to me. All right. So first question's an easy one, I think. What's your fondest memory as a Jaguar on or off the field? Oh, uh, you know what? My fondest memory as a Jaguar has 
a little to do with the game. Well, actually, the game was pivotal. It was actually in 1996, you know, when we made the outstanding run, when we beat Buffalo and Buffalo, and then we went went to Denver and beat Denver. But my fondest memory as a Jaguar had to do with what happened after the game, because after we won the game, everybody was excited. Everybody was enthusiastic about the fact that we upset a team again. We're moving on to the AFC Championship game. I remember getting on the plane, leaving Denver, heading into Jacksonville, getting off the plane, getting on the bus, and we're riding on the bus, and essentially, for about a good 10-mile stretch, there were fans literally pulling off the side of the road, you know, blinking their lights, congratulating us, saying, go Jags, go Jags. And, you know, I thought that was, you know, the tip of the iceberg, but to be quite honest with you, I remember the coaches uh, talking to us on the speaker, on the bus, telling them that we're headed towards the stadium. So we're headed towards the stadium. It's, it's close to 1 o'clock in the morning. We go across the bridge, and I see the stadium. At the time, it was Alltail Stadium, and the stadium was fully lit. And I said to myself, there's no way in the world these fans are out here at 1.30 in the morning. But at 1.30 in the morning, we get off the bus, we go into the stadium, we walk on the field, and it had to be at least thirty to 40,000 fans that were there in Jacksonville to congratulate us on the game. I mean, I get chills from just thinking about it today that we had that kind of profound effect on the fan base in Jacksonville. And I, it, was so, it was so exhilarating for me as a player because I had never experienced anything like that. And just to know that we were one step away from being in the Super Bowl and the fans had our back all the way. So that got to be one of my fondest memories as a Jacksonville Jaguar player, beating the Denver Broncos in Mile House Stadium, getting off the plane, getting on the bus, going to the stadium, and having thirty to 40,000 fans in the stadium at 1.30 in the morning. That was crazy. I had never experienced anything like that. At the, at the college rank or the professional rank. Yeah, that really was something, a sight to be held for sure. I was only about five or six years old at the time, so uh, I don't really... Well, you're, telling, you're telling my age, Jordan. <laughs> Excuse me, Leon, I did not mean to go there, but yeah, I uh, I can barely remember that, but I do, I do remember seeing lots of pictures and, you know, people still talk about that day to this day in Jacksonville all the fans pouring into the stadium when y'all got home. So, yeah, that was it's, definitely an awesome moment. It's got it's got to be one of the most pivotal moments in Jacksonville Jaguar history. I mean, I, I'm, I'm sure if social media was a buzz back then, I'm sure, I mean, that would have been retweeted or whatever, whatever they call it nowadays. But I'm sure that would have definitely been trending uh, if we had social media back in the day because it was astonishing to see those many fans come out and support the Jaguars back then. Yeah, I'd say so. It would definitely be trending nowadays. Now, a little bit tougher question. What was the hardest game you ever played in as a Jaguar, whether it be from your matchup against a defensive lineman or just from the game in and of itself? Well, you know what? My, my, I, I can't really think of it. I can think of the toughest I can't really think of the toughest game that I've ever played in, but I can tell you the toughest opponent that I always played against was actually the Baltimore Ravens. My four years in Jacksonville, we swept the Ravens. They never beat us in four years uh, in my tenure when I was with the Jaguars. And, and, and crazy enough, that the one season that I was hurt, 
you know, they in 2000 they actually went on and went to play in the Super Bowl. But the Baltimore Ravens always gave me a tussle because I always I had some they had, had some outstanding defensive players on that team that I had to go up against on, uh, you know, routinely. I mean, I had to go up against Rob Burnett. I had to go up against Peter Fulware. I had to go up against uh, Tony Saragusa. Had to go up against the the, the the Hall of Famer Ray Lewis. They had Jeremy. They had Jamie Shopper. They had uh, Mike McCrary. I mean, even though we beat the Ravens on a consistent basis when I was playing, I always knew that I, I would have to find the cold tub the next day because those battles were very, they were very, very intense. Yeah, I mean, they were one of the toughest teams in that time period when you were with the Jaguars, no doubt about it. They won a Super Bowl during that time. And um, I believe the Jaguars were, were one of the teams to beat them during that Super Bowl year during the regular season. Yeah, well, they were lucky I was hurt. Well, they wouldn't <laughs> probably make it. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, that's for sure. Now, switching uh, sides of the ball here, who was the best player that you played with in Jax? Uh, the best player I played against, and I got a, a list of guys. I mean, I can go down the list of guys. You know what? The, the funny thing about playing, uh, you don't really appreciate the greatness of the guys that you play with until you finished playing. And I had the opportunity, you know, when I was at the Pittsburgh Steelers, I mean, I played with Rod Woodson, Carnell Lake, Demonte Dawson, Kevin Green, Greg Lloyd, LeVon Kirkman. But in Jacksonville, the same thing. I mean, I can go down the list of Fred Taylor, Jimmy Smith, Keenan McCarley, Mark Burnell, Tony Braxton. Braxton. But the, the probably the best player that I ever played with as a Jacksonville Jaguar has to be Tony Brissetta. Tony Baselli was at at that time, at, at that particular time, at, at the years that I played with Baselli, he was clearly the elitist when it came to left tackles. And to be quite honest with you, he kept my game up to par because if Baselli is getting it done and I'm not getting it done, then I look bad. So there, there was there was a there was a sibling rivalry that was going on between us because we always wanted to do our best. In, against opponents. So, but I, I mean, just the way Baselli handled his opponent. I mean, Tony didn't just block people. Tony tried to punish people. I mean, you can watch the games, whoever he played against, whether it be Bruce Smith, whether it be Michael McCrary, whether it be Jason Taylor, Tony Baselli got it done. And I mean, it, it was a pleasure to be his bookie and brother back in those days. Because essentially, to be honest with you, in the in the mid to late nineties, I don't think there was a pair of tackles that were better than us two, and we thrived on that. We thrived on wanting to be the absolute best, and we pushed each other to want to be the best. So I think Tony Baselli is probably the best Jacksonville Jaguar I ever played with. Man, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, I know that. A lot of people are upset around here that he hasn't been elected into the or inducted into the Hall of Fame quite yet. Do you think he's deserving of being there? Absolutely, absolutely. See, people, this, the problem I have with the Hall of Fame is this: the Hall of, you know, you if you want to if you want to look at longevity, you know, the only reason why Tony Baselli isn't in the Hall of Fame right now, essentially, is because his his career was shortened shortened because of his shoulder injury. But if you look at how impactful he was in those years that he played, I mean, five out of the seven years Baselli played, he was all pro, first team all pro. 
I mean, listen, I've been on the radio show. I've had people on the radio show that I'm talking, I've had Willie Rofe on the show. He said Baselli was the best. I've had other guys that come on the show and said Baselli was the best in his time and his era, and he dominated. So I don't know any other, I don't know what else you need to do to get him in the Hall of Fame, but more than likely, he's going to get in and it's going to be well-deserved. All I want to know is Baselli, when you go in the Hall of Fame, do I get an invite and are you going to, are you going to mention my name in the speech? That's all I want to know. Oh, he's got to mention his book and right tackle. <laughs> hey, hey, listen, those are the only requirements I ask him when he goes in the Hall of Fame next year. <laughs> yeah, that'll be awesome. So, switching gears here, uh, moving into the current Jaguars, are you a fan of the direction of the current coaching staff and front office, the way they're handling things? Well, I, I can't say that I'm a fan. I mean, because the organization over the last 12 years has only had one winning season. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that, one, they drafted terribly over the last decade and a half. Two, the acquisitions as far as free agents has been horrific. And if you remember the, the, the Jaguars when I played, a lot of that had to do, a lot of our success had to do with the fact that, one, they drafted well. I can go down the drive. I can, you, you can start with Book Sally. You can go with Kevin Hardy. You can go with Tony Brackett. You can go with Donovan Durant, Aaron Beasley. Uh, you can go with Fred Taylor. I mean, those are keynote guys in, in drafting. And then free agency, you bring myself in. You bring Keenan McCardell. You bring Jimmy Smith. You bring Gary Walker, Clyde Simmons. I mean, those kinds, anybody that knows football knows that a nucleus of your locker room has a lot to do with how you draft. It's a, it's a combination of young and old. And I think the reason why we had so much success early on with the Jaguars is because we drafted well and we brought good guys who love the game of football and at free agents. As of late, over the last decade and a half, I can't say that. I can't, the, the reason... Listen, if you only had one winning season in the last 12 years, that has to go with the front office. I mean, the coaches can only coach what you bring to the table, but you've got to do a lot better job in bringing guys that don't miss, you can't miss on the draft, and you can't miss the free agents. So, I mean, the coaching staff can only do as much as they can do based upon the talent that you bring to the table. Yeah, there's no doubt about that, and uh, kind of perfect segue there, talking about free agents that they've missed on as of late. Do you think opting to go after Nick Foles instead of one of the rookie quarterbacks this year was the right move? Well, I, 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 I truly believe that the Jaguars went all in on Nick Foles because the conversation piece for the last couple of years is that this team is good defensively and that we just had a quarterback. Now, Blake Bortles, and, you know, he took a bad rap uh, over the last couple of years, and they figured that, you know, we couldn't get over the hump with Blake Bortles. Now Blake Bortles is gone. So now there shouldn't be any excuse. You just spent $88 million on Nick Foles. So you're essentially saying we got a good enough defense, and Nick Foles is going to make our offense better. He's going to make our receiving core better. He's going to make our offensive line better because he's not going to turn the ball over. He's going to convert on third downs. He's going to take care of the football. So they went all in on Nick Foles, and I like the decision. Only concern I have with Nick Foles is the fact that he hasn't played a regular season 
in over five or six years. Now, in the postseason, he's a gem. In the postseason, he'll get you in the playoffs, and he'll win you the Super Bowl. But I'm going to be very interested to see how he plays throughout the regular season and if he can stay healthy. He's certainly had some ups and downs. Uh, you mentioned there that uh, the offensive line, the Jaguars are banking on Nick Foles making the offensive line a little bit better. Do you believe that they have the right guys in Cam Robinson and Jawan Taylor on the bookends now? Uh, you know, the verdict is still out on both of them. I mean, being an offensive line, I'm overly critical of guys. And, you know, I was overly, overly critical of Cam Robinson his rookie year. And then, just, just granted, now it's very hard for a guy that comes straight out of college and play his rookie year. Uh, from Alabama to go and play for the Jacksonville Jaguars. So I'm, I'm a particular when it comes to techniques, fundamentals, hands, feet, bend, all that kind of stuff. So the verdict's still allowed on Cam Robinson. you still got to you got to figure out how well is he going to be able to adjust coming off the ACL tear. Jawan Taylor, uh, he's a rookie. He's a, he's a rookie, and you're, you're asking a lot for a rookie to come in right away, just like Cam Robinson in 2017 to come in right away and start because the Jaguars didn't spend their second pick, second round pick overall to bring in somebody to develop. They brought them in to start right away. So I'm going to be watching them particularly uh, this upcoming season. But I wish, them, I wish them nothing but the best. And my cell phone is always open. If you need to call me for advice, technique, fundamentals, film, and all that kind of stuff. I'm always available. So, but I want—I wish them nothing but the best. I think—I think Andrew Norwell is underachieved in his contract that they gave him a couple of years ago. Uh, Linder, you know, has to stay healthy, and you know, AJ Can is a guy that you know they didn't even particularly want, but they had to sign out of free agency. Um, so, you know, he's a guy at right guard. So, it's going to be very interesting to see how this offensive line gels this upcoming season. But I believe that they can stay healthy, and if Leonard Fillet has his head on straight, I think this team can get back to his winning ways. Yeah, I'm kind of with you there on the offensive line. A lot of it's going to come down to health, and if if Cam Robinson is really back to 100% getting into the start of the regular season there. Now, i got to ask you, the Jaguars have been going with their all-25 team now with their 25 seasons, uh, 25th season coming up here. Where are you going to finish in the Jaguars All-25? Well, I don't know. I mean, I'm trying not to care. But as we move up, you know, up the ladder, I mean, just today, I mean, today uh, Kevin Hardy was, uh, you know, named number 15, uh, well-deserved. And Kevin Hardy, Hardy was a beast in Jacksonville when he played. So I don't know what the pecking order is. I mean, uh, right now, being top 15, I've already been, uh, the Jaguars have already let me know that I'm, in the, I'm on the list uh, a few months ago. Um, so wherever I land, uh, I'm going to be very appreciative because uh, it is 25 years of Jaguar football, and it's a complete honor to be on the list and to be appreciated. So wherever I land, I mean, I'll be satisfied. As long as I'm in the top ten, I'll be sure I'll do all yeah, and I think you're definitely well-deserving of a top-ten spot there. I uh, don't, don't know another offensive lineman outside of Tony Baselli, obviously, 
who was more impactful when they were in Jacksonville. So I definitely think you're deserving of a top 10 spot. Hopefully we'll get that top 10 spot for you here in the next few days. And Mm -hmm. uh, before we let you go, where can people follow you and listen to you to keep up to date with all things Leon Searcy? Well, I mean, I'm on on, uh, 1010XL, XL Primetime, Lunch with Leon, Monday through Friday uh, from 12 to 3 o'clock. Uh, you can follow me on Facebook, uh, Leon Cersei Jr. You can follow me on Twitter, uh, Cersei underscore Leon. And you can follow me on Instagram, uh, L Cersei Jr. So uh, uh, I'm all new to this uh, social media thing, but um, I'm, 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 I've, I've, I've been, let me see, I've been baptized by that. <laughs> it's essential, I guess it's essential uh, that you have some kind of social media prowess. Yeah, nowadays you gotta you gotta get yourself out there, and you gotta stay connected with all the fans and um, and all the different people out there in Jacksonville and in the sports media world for sure. Absolutely. All right, Liam. Well, we really appreciate you coming on the show, and uh, hopefully, we'll be able to talk to you soon. Get some more insight on on what's going on with the team nowadays, and maybe get some more stories about back in the day. All right, sounds good, Jordan. All right, have a good one, Leon. All right, so that was my interview with Leon Searcy, former Jaguars right tackle. Hopefully we'll be able to get him on the show again soon, and sorry if the audio was a little bit lacking on that. It was a test run on a new platform, and uh, again, thanks to Leon for coming on. But that's going to do it for the show. Thanks to Bold City Brewery, the one and only sponsor of the Gin Jack podcast. You can find them online at boldcitybrewery.com. Follow them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Bold City Brewery. And you can check out their tap room in Riverside on Roselle. And, of course, their downtown tap room is coming out with funky new brews all the time over on East Bay Street. We'd like to invite everyone out to 8103 Clothing's grand opening in Springfield next week. There will be food trucks, a mural unveiling, a Jin Jag and 8103 t-shirt collab, a Threat Supply and 8103 collab, live music, and a whole lot more. You can find out more on 8103's social media pages, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, that's going to do it for the show. Thanks for listening. Listening. Make sure to follow UCF Jaguar on Twitter and subscribe to his YouTube channel. You can follow me at Jordan Lugo on Twitter, and you can follow the show on Facebook and Instagram at Generation Jaguar on Twitter at Generation Jag. Have a great weekend, Duval. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue. All in the Kroger app. Get three pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.